1: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio by Evan Grant, and on the line our fine SMU beat writer and Rangers backup writer, Sam Bloom. Sam, how you doing?
3: I'm doing well. How are you, Kevin?
1: I'm doing great, Sam. You, you you waltz in here and you and you and you you get an undefeated SMU team. I mean, come on. Most people in this market have to work years to get to cover a really good team. Evan's been waiting for 30 years to cover a good team.
0: I covered two World Series teams, teams, you
1: idiot. I was waiting for him to say that. I was waiting for him to say that. Idiot! (laughs) So anyway, so Sam, what have you done to deserve this kind of SMU team? That's what I want to know.
3: Well, you know, I didn't. I waited about five days before. The, I got here about five days before the season started, so I guess uh, I didn't have to wait as long as everyone else.
0: <laughs> no, you but, didn't.
3: You know, it's the same thing. I covered Auburn basketball last year, and they made the first Final Four, and then I'm out. And same thing with the College World Series. So maybe I just bring good luck to people. I don't know.
1: So is that yeah. what you're telling people out there? Is that what you're telling Sonny Dykes, hey, I'm a good luck piece?
3: Sorry, uh, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> I so <feel> muffled, <laughs> to be honest with you.
1: Uh it's never bad. It was nothing important. So Sam, uh, so tell us this. When what is gonna be uh, No right? no no,
0: let's go back to that. Sam, are you telling Sonny Dykes that you're you're that he needs to listen to you?
3: Yeah, no, that, that yeah. I think um I think I should be the one telling him how you know, I a coach and what to do. You know, my expertise in football obviously has brought them this far, so you know, it's it's I wouldn't say it's anything to do with Shane Bruchel or the fact that they're you know, bringing in a lot of new guys who kind of just got here and maybe don't know the history of the program. Um, you know, we kind of, t- we've touched on it, like a lot of people around the country are now kind of starting to realize how much SMU has benefited from bringing in tons of different guys, transfers, and making it all work. So maybe, you know, maybe it isn't me. Maybe it's these guys that they're all, you know, that they're, they're bringing in that's uh, kind of meshing well and bringing this team to a 6 and 0 start.
1: 16 of 22 starters. Is that not correct, transfer players?
3: Uh, you know that sounds right, but I need to I need I would need to go look and kind of count it up. But yeah, I think you know it's it's most of them. It feels like it's most of them, you know. And it's and not all of them transferred in this year. Some of them have obviously transferred in other years. Or you know, guy like Reggie Roberson, I think, is someone that they kind of look at as the first person to kind of break through the the glass, so to speak, in, in the sense that he got here uh, and you know from the area, maybe kind of set a trend uh, before some of the people this season did that. So, you know, yeah, I mean, they've just kind of benefited so much from it. And it's, uh, you know, it, it makes sense because of the area that they're in. I talked to their, you know, director of player personnel, and he kind of projected that another team like Houston would also benefit similarly from the transfer portal and other schools that are major metro areas that, you know, can can get their talent back, back home.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. This, I heard someone else mentioning that about uh, the fact that this will probably benefit uh, as you said, teams from major metro areas more so than a college town, uh, more so than a well, let's say a, a Lubbock uh, or a Waco. Yeah. That uh, that these are, yeah, that the, there are more kids to draw from, more that would be willing to come back. Um, and let me ask you this too, because someone brought this up when I wrote uh, about uh, SMU's uh, good fortune with the transfer portal and. His point was that uh, that really the transfer portal hasn't done that much. It's uh, it, it allows uh, you, that you could always uh, talk to, to to schools before when you're ready to transfer. But in those situations, it was always a lot of paperwork involved. It's my understanding that in this one, that when you enter the transfer portal, it's wide open and, and, and it's immediate. And then you can uh, that uh, you have you can talk to any school. Any school can talk to you. This just makes it. Uh, the kids can can make up their mind right away. There's no guesswork involved in whether I'm going to do this. And then if I if I if I make this decision to do it, I can I can jump right out there.
3: You know, and the thing that I really like about the transfer portal to that point is that there is autonomy for the athletes. And it gives them an opportunity to kind of, they can transfer within the American conference, you know, which is something that a lot of coaches could block beforehand. They know they, they can go within their own conference, not just the American, but obviously any any conference around the country. Like you said, they don't have to wait around to kind of get the release from their scholarships. You know, it, it is a process where when they enter the portal, you know, their scholarship can be removed uh, you know, that's no longer up to them. They can also, I mean, they can also, sometimes, some, if some instances, schools can allow them to come back off the portal and stay where they are, but, you know, that isn't guaranteed. I just think that it gives the opportunity to the athlete to kind of make that decision. I think that's why you see a lot of coaches kind of getting angry about it because, uh, or just the concept of the portal, and you know, making cases about how athletes, you know, don't always, or kids these days don't always, you know, stick to where they're, where they said they'd go, or they don't always, you know, stick it out when the going gets tough. You know, I just think those are kind of, uh, you know, talking points really for them just being frustrated that they don't necessarily have as much control over the, the way things work as they used to.
1: Yeah, coaches don't always stick with with things either, and that's exactly. that's, that's always the issue. Coaches could always come and go. Uh, you know, it's you know, and this idea of coaches blocking players transferring to another place always has driven me crazy. You know, that was the whole issue with. Uh, when it came up when Baker Mayfield left Texas Tech and, and went to Oklahoma or was trying to go to Oklahoma, and they blocked that for a while until finally they, they did grant it at last, but it was too late to get a scholarship that year. Uh, just silliness, stuff like that. Uh, I got big problems with that kind of stuff. You know, when when Sonny Comby left Texas Tech to go to TCU, team in the same conference, one of your biggest rivals, nobody blocked Sonny Comby from doing that. Everybody yeah. said, hey, and, and who could help a team more than a coach,
0: Who well, who, a good player.
1: Well, a good player, but a coach can tell you everything that this other that school does.
0: Well, that's true. But the point everything they do. The point of the matter is that yeah, there's no, there's no ability for the team to vote and decide. Uh, we're going to block this move. The players, but, the players have yeah, no, no, players no. can't have no recourse, right? Coach wants to go and improve his life. Yeah, sure, go, go ahead. But but we can't do that. So I, I
1: yeah, I think this is uh, this is the brave new world we live in. I think coaches just have to live with it. Uh, and uh, and I think this uh, is kind of you know and in, in also in its own way levels the playing field a little bit, just like you said. Now we've got a program like SMU, which has uh, all of a sudden dug itself out of the graveyard. So let's look here at the schedule real quick. Here, what, what SMU has left. Uh, so so they have Temple this week. Yeah, Temple this week. This will be – this is the toughest – they're going to enter the toughest part of their schedule. There's no question about that. They've got Temple this week. Uh, then they've got Houston in Houston uh, after that. And then they've got Memphis. Uh, then then East Carolina, SMU, Tulane. So,
0: so They don't play SMU. They play
1: Navy. I mean, SMU. Navy, excuse me. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> well, they might scrimmage themselves. Uh, but, yeah, they play – so that's – those are tough teams uh, you know that, that's that's a that's a gonna be a, a hard finish here so Sam uh, is SMU going to go undefeated
3: you know I'm, I wouldn't project that they'd go undefeated just because you know like you said it's it's a good the, the, you know that half of the a, American is really good I mean and so at the end of the day you know a team like Memphis I think a lot of people thought could go undefeated in the conference um, and then you know they went and lost Temple and I think these these next few weeks, you know, everyone's kind of those those three teams are kind of all playing each other. So it's an interesting time right now because the American is getting a lot of publicity for having, you know, three ranked teams and a lot of teams kind of on the fringe of being ranked and it's I think seven teams getting votes at least. Uh and now they're all gonna play each other and so I'm sure some of those teams will drop and some of them will rise and it's gonna be uh you know, can SMU go undefeated? I think uh, I think that might be I mean they're obviously done if they did it through the first half of their schedule, can they do it through the second half? I mean I wouldn't I would never guess that because just because I think the competition's a little tougher, I think, uh, you know, going to Houston will be a tough game because, you know, they're playing UConn on Saturday, and I think SMU is a much more difficult game, and then it's a really short turnaround for a Thursday night game. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just... There's going to be something that's going to get in their way, I would think, but you never know. I mean, right now it's kind of a magical season, so I guess you never want to tempt to, you never want to bet against destiny, but you never know.
1: All right, so let's let's consider that that whole magical season concept. So, it, it, if at this point the Mustangs end up with eight wins, is it still a magical
3: season? No, yes. I don't think it would be magical. I think it would. I think it would be a really good season, and I think yeah. it would be a. I think it would be something that you know. Obviously, it would be a three-win improvement, which I think he, any college football team would sign up for any year. Um, but no, I wouldn't call it magical. I would say that it's a right step in the right direction. But I mean, if they're eight and four, and, you know, they're that would mean they're, they're two, that would mean they're, they're kind of two and four at the end of the season. So I think that might leave a pretty bad taste in people's mouths. But as a whole, I, I would expect them to probably be ten and two. That would be my guess.
1: So we're, you're saying ten and two, uh, Evan? What are you saying? I guess. Uh, let's see. Um While we're waiting on Evan, I'm going to say nine and three, uh, and and that and that's a really good season. But as as uh, Sam just said, the problem is that if you're when you're losing games at the end of the season, I probably go nine and three.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing for me is they're six and zero. Oh, they're ranked, right. which is something they haven't done in 34 years. That they're going to. Uh, they're playing late into October with the idea of of this kind of destiny thought, right? But yeah, if you lose three games in a six week span, it's gonna be it's gonna be something of a disappointment. But I I, I can't think that anybody who's been an SMU backer wouldn't think anything other than this is and maybe magical is too too strong a, st- a word, but that this hasn't been a special year because, yeah. listen, the biggest the biggest thing that had held SMU back obviously was um, the death penalty, right? They had never, ever come back from the death penalty. I, I don't care how long ago that, that was. If, if you finish the year, 9 and 3, if you finish the year on the fringes of the top 25, you now have an ability to kind of put that whole chapter to rest and really embark on a new on a new era in SMU football.
1: You went, you get to double digits. You you finish ranked, uh, and, and that and that's see. I think nine and three, and then if you win your bowl game, you go ten and three. That's a that's a terrific season for SMU, mm-hmm. and I think that's what they have to hope. They have to hope they can get through the the back half of this schedule, which is the, the toughest part of it. Uh, and then uh, go out and win your bowl game because that's going to be the other side of that too. Is you you got to win your bowl game. Mm-hmm. You, you you can't have you know what was what was a really good year, uh, almost a historic year, and then get to the end and like okay now we we get up and we don't and we don't do that. That's that's not going to work. Uh, I want to you know when you talk about that and how Kevin, the, I want
0: I want to ask you for oh, some no. perspective on something because you're the one person who's been around here longer than dirt. Okay. Um, does SMU at this point in time could SMU put themselves and, and let's let's start with this TCU was not part of the Big Twelve when when this era in TCU football started, which looks like it's kind of coming to an end now. But well, uh, whoa, come come to an end? Yes. You're having two
1: mediocre seasons in a row, yes. and that's unusual. But I wouldn't say it's it, coming it, to an end.
0: And let me tell you something: when you are a small school in a big conference, you can very quickly get lost in the shuttle, in the shuffle. As I Did mean, you say the shovel, the shovel. Yes. Okay. My my question is: can SMU put themselves on the level of uh, legitimacy? And look, for a while, both TCU and Baylor were in the hunt for for a playoff bid. But does SMU have any ability? Not this year, but in the not too distant future, if they build with a nine and three record this year, ten wins with a bowl game, do they have the ability to continue that and kind of take that next step back into long term national relevance?
1: To be to have national relevance, what you have to do is beat national teams, mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what TCU did. TCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, was playing some really good teams when they were not in the Big 12, when they were in the Mountain West and various other conferences. Uh, they were scheduling and beating some big teams. They weren't having to play uh, tough teams every week, and that makes it a lot easier when you can kind of gear up a little bit uh, and, and do that. Uh, but like when they went to the Rose Bowl and beat Wisconsin. Uh, that, uh, Wisconsin team with J.J. Watt, mm-hmm. uh, I had to point out as well. Uh, yeah, that was a huge win for them. That's what SMU has to do. You know, the AAC is a is a is a good conference, pretty good for uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, the other than Power Five. Uh, but it's going to be difficult for them to sustain that that level. I want to bring up something here that I was just looking up about Texas Tech uh, in Cliff Kingsbury's first year there. Uh, they won their first seven games; they were seven and zero, and then they lost five in a row. Mm-hmm. And finish seven and five and then they won the bowl game and that kind of that kind of turned it around a little bit beat uh, Arizona State uh, in, in their bowl game the holiday bowl uh, but I, and, I'm not, and I was trying to say this is what's going to happen to SMU. I'm saying that that just kind of takes all the wind out of it, oh, it does. if you stumble in the second half it, it, it looks much better if you rally in the second half of a season to finish seven and five than it does to start out seven and0 oh and end up seven and five. You know, so I think that SMU certainly will uh, has the capability of finishing strong. As I said, I think they can go. I think they'll go nine and three, uh, and maybe they'll do better than that. Uh, they certainly have the capability to do that. As as Sam brought up, Shane Bouchelle has done a marvelous job uh, for SMU in uh, transitioning from Texas. Uh, they've done that before. You know, they did Garrett Gilbert before, and he was pretty good for SMU as well. So um, maybe they should just be sitting around ready to poach. Any of these
0: uh, Texas quarterbacks? Uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the state, right? That that want to go and and most of them don't the end shot. up at the state's biggest universities.
1: So, for whatever
2: reason, I mean, I
3: think the biggest. I, I think an interesting point here is kind of like what you're, I kind of what you're talking about is just after this season. Does is this something that they can build on? I, mean, I think that's the overarching question here. Can they actually, you know, is this a special season or is it kind of an outlier? And I think, you know, obviously look at a lot of the guys on their defensive line are going to be graduating. A lot of the people that they bring in, though, who they brought into the transfer market are two-year guys. I mean, that's that's kind of been their, their MO, I think, out of the number that you mentioned. Only one player they have is a, is a uh, you know, a grad transfer who only has one year of eligibility. So it, it'll be interesting. And, you know, can they, can they sustain it and find any sort of way to make this program something that, like you see with UCF, that does it for three, four years you know, that people actually start to take notice of rather than just make it kind of a nice story, which it's been for the last month and a
1: half. Absolutely. Sam Bloom, it's been great having you on, man. We're going to have you on again sometime. Uh, hopefully, uh, to keep talking about the, your SMU Mustangs and what they're doing out there in Sunny Dykes. Uh, it's uh, been a great story in Dallas. Uh, Dallas's team, you know. I'm claiming them as Dallas's team instead of the Cowboys. What do you think?
0: Go for it. <laughs> uh, you're, yeah, my- you're out there on that. On the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on that limb. Thanks, Sam.
3: Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, there goes Sam Bloom. Uh, he's covering those SMU Mustangs when they're good. How many? How many people in the last thirty years could say that? Nobody. Not many. Well, June Jones had a June Jones had a little nice little run there before he got disinterested. <laughs> I don't want to coach these guys anymore. I couldn't get my big job, and so I'm I'm going to just kind of blow it off. So let's let's talk about some more colleges. Let's talk about the, what happened out there at the old Cotton Bowl the other day. I was out there. Evan, you were with me last year, and this year you said, huh, I don't need this. I wasn't with you last year. You came out there last year, didn't you? No. You said, well, when was it you came out there? Like eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> was it really
0: eight years ago? It's been a
1: while. You
0: said... You came out there and had a corn dog with me. That's what you said. I'd like to do it again, but no. This uh, this past Saturday, I, um, I I I'm not a college football fan anymore. Just so you know. I... <laughs> oh, he's a little bitter about Georgia losing
1: to South Carolina. Holy cow! And wait a minute, South Carolina's
0: backup quarterback. South Carolina coached by Will Muschamp. Actually, I think they were down to their third string quarterback. <laughs> And, uh, oh my god! That was after Will Muschamp basically sacrificed Alinsky's leg and, and went to the, the third quarterback, <laughs> and they still won. Um, but oh, uh, man, uh, yeah. So tell me all about what you discovered at uh, the Cotton Bowl.
1: Here's my takeaways from the from the Cotton Bowl. One, Oklahoma has a defense now. I don't know how great it is. Uh, I wouldn't say it was great. It, I'd say it's very good. Certainly, it's serviceable. Nine sacks nine sacks in that game that is the that is the most sacks it ties for the most sacks texas has ever given up so when when sam Cosby, who's a bright kid and i really like him he's a left tackle for texas when he said ah these guys are no big deal i think he's he's lived to regret that comment uh not not a good thing to say so oklahoma has a defense to go with a terrific offense so I think that this Oklahoma team is going places, Uh, okay? Uh, I think it's going to the CFP is what I think. Uh, Secondly, uh, Jalen Hurts is the same Jalen Hurts that played at Alabama. Uh, And that's certainly good enough. That's good enough to get you into the college football playoff. Whether that's good enough to win you the national championship, I don't know. But watching Jalen play in this game – Uh, which is the first time that Oklahoma has played a really quality opponent. Uh, And I guess you could say it was a really quality opponent. The Texas secondary is really depleted. Uh, They're missing a lot of guys. They couldn't tackle anybody. That one play where C.D. Lamb catches the ball, turns around, and there were four, count them, four Texas defenders standing there, uh, and he beat them all to the end zone. was unbelievable. I asked C.D. about that afterwards. I said, did you – did you realize there were four guys here? And he says, I only saw two. And he said, I figured if I could beat one of them, why not two? He seemed to be pretty strong. Well, he's he's just terrific. He's a transcendent player. That's uh, that's the way I phrased it. And Texas doesn't have any of those. They don't have any transcendent players. You know, uh, Devin DuVernay was leading the nation in catches per game. He's a nice slot receiver. Uh, he caught seven passes in that game for 49 yards. They stuffed Devin Duvernay, uh, so I, I think um, uh, Oklahoma is is certainly good enough. Jalen Hurts still is not a good passer. He's he's a he's a satisfactory passer, but he made decisions in that game that cost them two touchdowns. Well, he he fumbled once uh, and cost him a touchdown inside the ten. He threw an interception inside the uh, the ten in the end zone and he also threw another pass down there that should have been inter- or could have been intercepted. He he still has a tendency to throw off his back foot. He still has a little bit of trouble reading defenses um and uh the difference is that Lincoln Riley is the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Uh, they've had some good ones at Alabama, but none of them are as good as Lincoln Riley. And he he can make this work with Jalen Hurts, but Jalen is not. When people are saying, "Oh," and I talked to people at Oklahoma saying, "Oh, now I think he might be as," you know, he doesn't he doesn't throw the ball as well as Baker Mayfield or as, as Kyler Murray, but he's but he's right there. He's not right there. He's a Tougher runner. He's a, well. He's a bigger, tougher runner. There's No yeah. question he's about man, that. He's not as quick as Kyler, but he's a but he's a bigger, tougher runner. He is, and so that's, and so they're taking advantage of that. Uh, he, but I've got a question he for it too much. Go I've ahead. got a
0: question for you. Yeah, what what was your takeaway on Ellinger? Ellinger, not Ellinger. I well, you know, I also go gif, not Jeff. So, <laughs> you know, Tom Herman will correct you for that. By the way, if you say that, um, coaches love correcting people and letting them know.
1: I I thought that, that, that you know that, to me Sam Sam and, uh, um, and Jalen are very similar quarterbacks. I thought that going into this season, I think so now. They're both big, tough guys, leaders. Um, you know, I think that Sam probably's a little better passer than
0: Jalen is. Um you know my take on Sam Ellinger. Or Ellinger. What is it? And uh, just from the few plays that I watched him with with the ball again on Saturday. I, I think that I I I in this Falls into the same category with which I often talk about Dak Prescott, but I think what I've seen of him is when he is running the ball, um, or when he is moving, he's a much better passer than when he tries to drop back in in, in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and I would I would allow for more of that because I think he's because of how good a runner he is. He's a he's a Tebow like runner. Yeah. He's he's a, um,
1: a Tebow like player
0: uh allow those Tebow like tendencies to play out
1: yeah well I, I think that uh certainly Tom Herman's on board with that uh he likes to have a running quarterback he he had one in Houston and Greg Ward he he turned him into a quarterback you know that's that's what he wants he wants the guys a dual threat at quarterback in college football and I, and i i got to agree with with Tom on that for the most part i'd rather have a dual threat as a quarterback in college football too um so uh I, I think that he can get there. the problem for texas is not sam ellinger uh he's carrying that team in my estimation the problem for texas is that they they uh th- you know they got devin duvernay and colin johnson came back and played in that game but he only had a he just i think uh, i can't remember how many catches he ended up with but he was not a dominant presence and when in last year's game. He was and uh, a game against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, so uh, he needs more uh, targets on the outside to make him effective. He needs more help in the back. But now, Roshan Johnson ran for 105 yards that game, but I think he had 10 carries. Uh, why they gave up on the run in that game, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, yes, I think 51 yards of that came on one carry – but uh but Johnson was 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 good you know uh that's 50 carries and 50 yards on nine carries that's still good uh they they should have run the ball more um and uh and they and they didn't they kind of gave up on it a little bit Oklahoma gave up on it though it was just a it was a weird kind of game you know with both quarterbacks ended up with more carries than anybody else on their on their rosters and and I don't really I'm not really sure why they decided to do that I, I do think that they feel like at Oklahoma that maybe Jalen takes off more than he wants them to, than they want him to, uh, that, that he needs to kind of stand in there and try to, to make this play happen. Uh, they win. They put up a lot of points, and, and Jalen will continue to do that. Let's talk about Texas a little bit more and about what's going on here because Oklahoma, uh, because Texas A&M uh, didn't have a great day down in College Station against Alabama. Uh, 47-28, I think, was that final score. Uh, Did that w- surprise you? No, it it didn't surprise me. That, but the point is, it's like you can't just say, "Does that surprise you?" I, where should where should Texas A and M be by now? Is what I'm saying. When you play Alabama at home, uh, two years ago, they played them really close. It was a close game, uh, and uh, and and a good game. They played uh, they played them very well. Mon played very well in that game. Uh, he was just starting out, and he and he was and he and he did a good job. Um, this year. They they weren't really close at all. This team right now uh, is looking like it's going to have a hard time, or maybe not a hard time, but this is looking like a six and six finish to me uh, for Texas A and M. That's not that's not what you pay a guy a guaranteed seventy five million for. Mm-hmm. You're wanting more than that, and I think that a lot of Aggies feel that way. So what you have to ask yourself is that why is it? It's not just them. You know, Texas, uh, the University of Texas uh went to the uh, won the sugar bowl last year took a step up that was good all right tom herman's got him going in the right direction comes into this season you got two big games lsu oklahoma you lose both you know you didn't get embarrassed in them but you lost both of them you lost to lsu at home now lsu
0: could you win got lsu natural... and clemson not oklahoma lsu i'm talking about texas now oh i thought you were talking about back to and m no, no, no,
1: no. I'm making the point about Texas. Oh, okay. I'm talking about. I'm talking about both. Both these programs, these are the flagship programs in this state. Uh, neither one of them are national players right now. Texas, Texas is out of the of the uh, of the CFP. Correct. No way. No way. Texas gets in now with two losses. Uh, yes, those were to LSU and Oklahoma, two top five, two top six teams. I think the LSU can win it all. LSU might beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. We'll see. That's this week. Um, I think they certainly have the firepower to do that now. It's so crazy to, to watch LSU with a good quarterback. I mean, they've had, you know, Les Miles had some good quarterbacks occasionally at LSU, but if he'd have kept – if he'd have had one like Burrow, you know, he'd still be the head coach there. No question in my mind about that. So, at any rate, Texas took, up, took a step up last year. This year, they're not taking another step. This year, at, at best, they're going to – they have – they have plateaued uh, over what they did last year. Uh, they, they can still have a really good year. they could, they could beat Oklahoma at, at Jerry World in the in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, I could certainly see that happening. I don't think it will uh, because uh, I thought that Oklahoma was by far the better team in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and now Texas get these defensive backs back, Some of them will be back, some of them won't uh, and that will that will make some difference. Um, but I, I think by Tom Herman's reaction in that game, we saw a coach saying that, yeah, this was a, that Oklahoma team is really good.
0: Texas, Texas went out there. Any chance that Texas loses another game? Oh yeah. Before before the, the, um, big 12 championship. The
1: big game for the, listen, the only test for either one from here on out really to my, in my mind is, is Baylor. Okay, I, I'm not really sure how good Baylor is. Uh, they're decent, you know, a good a good team. I don't I don't think they're. I think that uh, both Texas and Oklahoma
0: beat them. I could see Texas losing to Baylor. I think Oklahoma's going to beat Baylor soundly, but that's oh, just... I do too. Uh,
1: I think Oklahoma does. I think Oklahoma. That's the thing. Oklahoma's is clearly the better team, right? Uh, better than Texas, and 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 when no, that
0: that I'm just asking does Oak, does Texas get to ten and two going into the uh... Big Twelve Championship. I could, yes. And see, so if you get in the
1: Big Twelve Championship game and you're ten and two, now you're ten and three. You go to a bowl game, you win the bowl game. Well, you're in double figures. That's, How many games did
0: Texas win last year?
1: Twelve. Uh, the top of my head, I, don't, I can't remember. Uh, but winning the in the, when in the
0: who, who did they beat in the Sugar Bowl? Georgia. Georgia? Yeah. No, i what I, just so, I just wanted you to say that. I, I, and they beat them th- soundly, and they played a really good game. My question is, what? Yeah, but, but
1: Georgia just lost to South Carolina, so how much did that win really mean, looking back now? Uh,
0: not much. Um, but my question is, Texas finished 10-4 and last year. Yeah. Um, they lost Oklahoma State. They lost to West Virginia on that last-minute game. Um, they lost to Oklahoma. Uh, oh, and they, they lost that embarrassing season opener in Maryland. Right, yeah, that's right. Um, are you saying that they could finish 11-3 and three this year mm-hmm. and have a lesser season than last year? No, I didn't, they, I didn't say it was a lesser season. I said that they, they plateaued. But you, you're talking that they're – well, but have they? I mean, if they if they improve by a win this year – Get up close to the microphone. If they improve by a win this year – Oh, my gosh. Is that what you're going to say, a win? I, I I don't know anymore. I really
1: don't. I think the, the the next step up would be getting yourself
0: in the CFP
1: discussion.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. That's, yeah. very, that's very true. But that, I mean, that is. And the deal is, you were not anywhere. You were not really close to
1: Oklahoma today. You you were in the second half, and you were because Oklahoma kept throwing the ball away and turning the ball over deep in their territory. But that should have been. They should have. Oklahoma should have won by twenty one points in that game. They they just threw away two touchdowns.
3: Well, so so, I, so I, I, you, there's I, a
1: big difference between what Oklahoma's doing and what Texas is doing. I mean, and I Oklahoma's think, in the CFP discussion every year. Yes, they are. So that, that that's the, you measure yourself against them, and that and that's my issue is that in this state, and I've written about this a lot over the years, it is really difficult in this state to to have one team be really good. To be uh, Final Four quality, because it's just it gets so watered down when you have so many major programs in one state, and you have all these other schools that come to Texas to to pick off the talent. And when you have the coaches in this state make so many mistakes on quarterbacks, you know how many great quarterbacks from Texas have gone off to play someplace else. And meanwhile, the quarterbacks that play at the major flagship institutions aren't nearly as good it's not like like at least in texas tech's case where cliff kingsbury was running off people left and right and they're going off to start at other programs and at one point there was three of them in the nfl he still had patrick Mahomes, you know so he's (laughs) yes he's just uh, just an embarrassment of riches there because the guy's a genius at recognizing quarterback talent and he decides to stick with the guy who was the best guy right you know after does after Running off Baker Mayfield, essentially, he ends a guy who's the Heisman Trophy winner and the first pick of the draft. He ends up with the better quarterback, who hasn't exactly lit it up this year, by the way. No, he has not. But you know, that's that's Baker, and it'd be nice if Baker just just fell on his sword and said, "You know what? I, I I'm kind of stinking it up here." Instead of trying to blame everybody else, including the referees, you know. But anyway, uh, the 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 point is, is that at Texas. You know, and I and I like Allen I think he's a good quarterback. This is the he's the best quarterback they've had since Colt McCoy. Uh, that's ten years. You know, so that that that's that's a that's a good that's good there. But there were how many quarter quarterbacks in between there? Right. Who wanted to go to Texas that Texas turned away or didn't even pay any attention to? Right. Look at A and M. You know, uh, here this is the one thing I would think that Jimbo Fisher could do is recognize a quarterback. He certainly had him at Florida State. He likes a pro style quarterback. He's not as crazy about a guy who runs with a ball. Right. He wants the quarterback to stand back there in the pocket and deliver. You know, he decided on Kellen Mond over Nick Starkle. You know, uh, Nick had exactly lit it up at Arkansas. Uh, I, I, I don't. I'm not saying he made the wrong, uh, the, a wrong decision there. I, I, I am saying that Kellen Mond clearly is a dual threat quarterback. Clearly is a good runner. Not so good at just standing back in the pocket and delivering passes let's recognize what this guy can do and let's maximize that you know let's not try to 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 put a square peg in a round hole here and I think that's what that's what uh, Jimbo is doing and that's that's the disappointing thing to me but it's also there are other things that are disappointing about watching what a m has done this year and one of the things that uh, that uh, uh Sam blue mentioned on our SMU part of this podcast was interesting when he said that, you know, there I think that that stat is right. Sixteen of twenty-two starters were transfers. These guys don't know the history at SMU. These guys don't. They're not just. They haven't been just. You know, uh sitting in there, uh, wallowing in this. You know, miasma of, of SMU football. Like how how bad it's been. We're we're guys. It's like why can't you win? Sure, we'll come in. We'll we'll turn this thing right around. You know. Oh, I,
0: I don't know that I agree with that. No, I I don't because I think that. You know, the they may not know the intimacy of the death penalty or anything like that, but it is it's clear that this was the one team assessed the death penalty, um, and that is brought up even when SMU is mentioned on the national stage. The death penalty is brought up, um, and yes, there are some nice things to sell about SMU, um, particularly Dallas and. a a, a great school. But I think, I think the question is going to, is always going to be in, in transfer's minds. Yeah. But what can I do there? Well, sure it is. And, but and here's, and the, here's the thing: kids, for thirty years, there hasn't been anything done. There. Kids don't kids don't care about history. They don't know history. No, they they, they don't care that much about history. But they want they,
1: they want to know: Are you winning now?
0: But they want context. Yeah, they sure.
1: But they are you winning now? Uh, and and you know, look, they're coming here, even though the you know the fans aren't filling up the stadium. They're not doing all the things they need to do over there yet. You know, uh, but or it's getting closer. Uh, but they but they came, you know they they showed up and they played and i just wonder if, if sometimes if they're just still a leftover from the kevin sumlin days uh and from the you know uh and, and and the coaches that preceded them as well of yeah you know what we're just kind of a we're kind of an eight and four kind of team you know this is this is kind of who we are why why would we be a national championship team and i just
0: don't i don't understand how they're having good recruiting
1: classes. Texas is having good Listen, recruiting classes. Listen, I think classes. the biggest
0: problem with A&M remains this, and it's it, it, was, it was the arrogance of this move. Um, the SEC made them more money, but I don't know that it was a great move for their competitive balance because when you're in the same division with Alabama and LSU, you are facing an uphill battle just to get to the conference championship. Every year. No, because, no the, because the chances no are, if Alabama is down at all, LSU is up. If LSU is down at all, Alabama remains up.
1: Well, and it's not just those two either. I mean, you know, Mississippi State's obviously right.
0: Mississippi State and, and Ole Miss are just – are wild cards. But we haven't mentioned Auburn, no, which no, is – that's is. the other tier team, Absolutely. right? Absolutely.
1: So, you could make the case that, that, that Alabama is better than any Big 12 team typically – um I would say that LSU probably now certainly is better. Look, if you if you put
0: Alabama and Oklahoma on the same on the same level, okay eh, that's, really. if you want to, that's fine. All right. Yeah. And then you put if, if you put LSU and Texas on the same level, that's fine too. I still think that the SEC has a slight edge in both those places. And now take A and M and, and who's the next best team in the in, in, well, in, in, in the, the Big Twelve.
1: Oh, the next next best team they would be either Baylor, TCU, or Baylor. Right. versus Auburn. I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Right. No. I. I And all three of those teams are in your division. We're not getting to the Georgias and the Floridas that that you're going to have to play in the SEC championship. I just feel like from a football element, it was not a good move for A and M, and I think that is what we're seeing. Well, I wrote that. And all it all it has done is is created a conduit. For the SEC schools to come in and take more kids out of Texas, right? And that's and that's you know I wrote that from the very beginning
1: was got blistered by A and M fans who, uh, but it's not just A and M fans. It's it's everybody in the in the SEC. I've I've heard Ole Miss fans talk about we're in the SEC, you know with the SEC. You got you can't do that if you're an SEC. And look, pal, just because you're it's it's like being in the same family and your brother's rich you're not rich though right you know your brother's rich you can say all you want to about being in this family it's your brother who's got all the money not right. you and so it doesn't do you any good right unless and he leaves
0: you in the will the last time Ole miss was relevant we know what happened
1: yeah right absolutely so the, so the, here's the issue to say that you're in the best conference in the country all right, if you want to take some pride in that fine you know that that's fine it's not doing Vanderbilt any good.
0: It's not really doing Kentucky any. It good. does. It, let me say this: uh, in it, certain, it, there are certain elements, and it, not on the football element, but I mean, I, I think it certainly has helped solidify Vanderbilt as the best baseball program in the country because they're playing oh yeah the best talent sure in another sport and they've got yeah. a, you know well, but for a And M it's but, but you're Vanderbilt you can hang yourself on. We have a good baseball program, and we occasionally have a pretty good basketball program. This is A Your bellwether is is football. Right. That's all that matters. Yeah. That's it, man. And well, they have a good baseball program too, but but it but, doesn't matter. But you're right. No, that's
1: uh, football is everything here, and that's the issue. And and you know, Bowtie makes the move and calls it the hundred year decision, and then he runs off right. uh, after that, and then A you know, and left to, to live with this. And and you know. And I've said this. Uh, and I also a million I, things, so let me say this. I said this a million times. If they'd stayed in the Big Twelve with Johnny Football, uh, I think they would have won a national championship with him. Could have won a national championship might with him. And 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 what would that have meant to you to have that instead of just being in this Because here's the thing: you could have you could have said at the time that certainly the SEC was a more solid. Uh, proposition than the Big 12. Right. But it's not anymore.
0: And I, I still go back to this, and, and, and you know, I, I people can, the A&M fans and the Texas fans can all make up whatever rationalization they want, but taking that game away from the football fans in the state of Texas is, in my mind, criminal. Yeah. It's just criminal. I
1: don't know if it's criminal. I, I will say this, every, you know... I think it means more. It, it has to be more to A and M than it does to Texas because Texas has Oklahoma. Right. They've already got a great rivalry game. It was all. It was always a better rivalry game than that because of because of the Cotton Bowl and the State
0: Fair and all of that. It was just. It sure. was just perfect. But uh, it, it, those two teams need to play. Yeah, they should. It'll be. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, let's get to um, speaking of fun. Let's get to the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun. All right, we'll see you, Evan.
2: Bye. Thanks for listening to the College Football Ballsy Podcast.
0: Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast.
2: Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.